in the state of Utah, we deeply value human life, and that includes the unborn. This bill clarifies our language in order to strike the very best balance of protecting innocent life and protecting women who find themselves in dangerous and rare complications and emergencies during their pregnancies. That is such an insult to a woman or a person who could get pregnant to be told that her body, her health care, was no longer her decision. It became Representative Lizenby's decision and the decision of the Utah legislature. Abortion is once again in the crosshairs of the Utah legislature. I'm Sean Higgins. And I'm Sage Miller. We didn't hear a whole lot about abortion in the first half of the legislative session. But now, six weeks in, it's fully in the spotlight. This week on State Street, we're looking at the bill simply called Abortion Changes. It was introduced on Valentine's Day. It's sponsored by Republican Representative Carrie Ann Lisenby and Senator Dan McKay. McKay is actually the lawmaker who wrote Utah's abortion trigger law that is blocked by the courts right now. The abortion changes bill would eliminate abortion clinics in the state. All abortions would have to happen only in a hospital or state-approved clinic. The only exception is if a medical emergency makes that impossible. It prohibits victims of rape or incest from getting an abortion after 18 weeks of pregnancy. And it gives access to abortion to all children younger than 14. That's because they're assumed to be a victim of sexual violence. This is just one piece of a larger nationwide movement to limit abortion after the Supreme Court overturned the constitutional right to the procedure last June in Dobbs v. Jackson Women's Health Organization. Just ahead, we'll be talking to the bill sponsor and the CEO of Planned Parenthood Association of Utah. You're listening to State Street. Let's back up a little bit. We mentioned that abortion had taken something of a back seat this session. The only piece of legislation until now that could affect it did so indirectly. HJR 2 changed the rules around court-issued injunctions. An injunction is an order from a judge to put an action on hold while a case is going through the courts. It essentially stops laws from becoming laws until the courts do their thing. There is an injunction currently blocking Utah's near-total abortion ban, also called the trigger law. Many people saw this resolution as a workaround because it could lift the injunction and let the abortion ban move forward. And it was approved by the legislature last week. To be clear, this change doesn't specifically target the trigger law's injunction. It applies to all injunctions placed on laws passed by the Utah legislature. It makes it harder for any law that is challenged to be granted an injunction. And the trigger law is one of those cases. Planned Parenthood Association of Utah told us that based on their interpretation of the change, they don't believe the injunction could be lifted anytime soon. The state would have to file something called a motion to reconsider with the courts. Then they'd go through a series of hearings and motions before the judge would reconsider the injunction. But then last week happened. Enter Carrie Ann Lisenby and Dan McKay's abortion changes bill. It received a committee hearing just one day after it was published. Sean, you were at last week's hearing. What was the vibe in the room? Just like the transgender health care bills we saw at the beginning of the session, the room was packed. Not an empty seat anywhere. We heard from both supporters and opponents of the bill, as well as health professionals who voiced their concerns. 
Dr. Misha Pengasa spoke against the bill. She's an OBGYN who provides abortion care both in hospitals and in clinics. She and other health care providers at the hearing said abortion clinics are essential to providing these services. That especially goes for people who simply can't afford to be treated at a hospital. Luckily, right now, I tell them that there's another option. I tell them that we can take care of them in an outpatient clinic with the same doctors, the same procedures, the same excellent standards of care, but it will cost them much less. This bill will remove the option for clinic-based care and will result in more pain and suffering for people who are already going through some of the most difficult times of their lives. Pangasa added that bills for hospital abortions typically run from $5,000 to $20,000. But it depends on the hospital you visit and the type of procedure you need. Like most hospital procedures, there's no set price tag, and it can be hard to find exact numbers. For perspective, it's around $600 to get an abortion at a clinic like Planned Parenthood. Another part of the bill makes it a felony for a doctor to perform an illegal abortion. A representative for the Utah Medical Association said that's a little suspect. But the bill had a lot of supporters at the hearing, too. Marianne Christensen with the Utah Eagle Forum believes abortion could carry unintended consequences. When a woman becomes pregnant, whether she likes it or not, she's become a mother. And having an abortion just causes harm that she may not have to deal with for years. But it causes harm to her. And we have tried not only to protect babies, we've tried to protect those mothers. I remembered my own grandson, who he passed away just a few minutes before he was actually born. And I got to hold him, and I got to give him a few kisses. I never got to see his eyes. And even women who carry a baby that is incompatible with life, if they see it through, they get to meet their child. The bill passed out of committee on a party-line vote of 9 to 2. But even lawmakers who supported the bill expressed some concerns. Representative Kara Berkland said she'd like to see health insurance providers cover emergency abortions. Representative Carol Watkins said she was hesitant because of the expenses attached to hospital procedures. And Representative James Cobb said he had concerns about some of the language in the bill. But it deserved a full debate on the floor. Those three lawmakers are Republicans, by the way. But Democrat Brian King, one of the two no votes on the bill, along with Mark Wheatley, said the bill unfairly simplifies the debate around abortion. I do not believe this is an either-or situation. It gives me, in many areas of my life as a human being, and all of us, I think, comfort to think that really tough choices can be, can devolve, can, can end up as just being right versus wrong, and so we're going to choose right, and we want to, it gives us comfort to avoid the nuance and complexity of our lives. But our lives are nuanced. They're complex. They're messy. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we'll hear from the bill's sponsor and what the CEO of Planned Parenthood Association of Utah thinks about the bill. You're listening to State Street. Support for State Street comes from the Hinckley Report podcast, a weekly roundtable discussion about the biggest political headlines in the Beehive State. Find new episodes of PBS Utah's The Hinckley Report every Friday, wherever you listen to podcasts. Welcome back to State Street. I'm Sage Miller. And I'm Sean Higgins. 
Representative Carrie Ann Lisenby's new abortion bill is hefty. It's over a thousand lines long. To help us better understand what it exactly does and where it could go from here, I caught a few minutes with her on Friday, before there was an amendment to the bill that changed an exemption for children younger than 12 to younger than 14. How do you think this bill uh, strikes a balance between supporting a child and a mother? So we've worked closely with hospitals and with doctors in our state to ensure that we're protecting innocent life, which is a a goal that we have stated in Utah prior to this bill, and then just protecting women who experience rare and dangerous complications during pregnancy. Is there any other uh, modifications that you're willing to make to the bill? So I am am looking at a few changes. They are pretty minor. Uh, I think the bill is pretty good as is. There was a lot of misconception shared in the committee, and we tried to clarify and clear it up, but I think that's still getting shared in the media and in the public. So just really quick to clarify, there is language in the bill that allows for a process for clinics to be certified to provide abortions for people who are seeking a legal abortion in Utah under our law. Um, but we are delicensing ab- abortion clinics that are primarily performing right now uh, elective abortions. So it's it's a very nuanced approach, but we're saying there is a process. We're not just saying a woman has to go to a hospital. There's a process for clinics to be certified to perform abortions that will be legal in Utah under our trigger law when the decision comes down from the courts. Is there any other misconceptions that you think is being circled that you'd yes, like to clarify? Yes, thank you. The, the presumption is one of them, right? The, so um, a couple of news outlets actually reported that we were not allowing anybody except those under the age of 11 to have the rape or incest exception, which obviously is just it's just a misreading, and I get it. The language is kind of hard in the bill, but um, that's actually a presumption that excludes individuals currently under 11, but we are looking at the age, um, from having to report to law enforcement. So they are presumed to have been a victim of incest or rape. So that hopefully that clarifies that. And if this bill passes, when will it go into effect? So this bill will go into effect on the normal um, effective date process when the governor signs, and then so it would probably be in, in uh, May. And how will it work with the current injunction in place on Utah's abortion trigger law? They don't uh, conflict with each other. We very carefully drafted it, and that's part of the confusion, I think, just because we have two separate statutes right now in Utah based on our trigger law going into effect. All right. And is there anything else that you'd like to add? No, thank you. Thank you. Appreciate it. That was Representative Carrie Ann Lisenby. If this bill passes, access to abortion in Utah will be further restricted. It would close abortion clinics in the state and would allow only abortions to be performed in hospitals or state-approved clinics, with very few exceptions. Planned Parenthood is often portrayed as the face of abortion in America. And if the bill passes, it would be one of the organizations that's most affected in Utah. But Planned Parenthood is pretty well-seasoned when it comes to the abortion access debate. They've had to navigate a constantly moving target since the organization's founding in 1916. I sat down with Planned Parenthood Association of Utah President and CEO Carrie Galloway. 
I asked her how Planned Parenthood would be affected going forward. You know, rather than affecting Planned Parenthood, it affects pregnant people the most. Ever since the Dobbs ruling of the U.S. Supreme Court, women and people who get pregnant no longer have complete bodily autonomy, which, speaking as a woman, is kind of a bummer, you might want to say. And uh, this bill reinforces it over and over again. Uh, Representative Lizenby, she was so clear to say that elective abortions will no longer happen in Utah, as though there was no need for them. And I have to say that is such an insult to a woman or a person who could get pregnant to be told that her body her health care was no longer her decision. It became Representative Lizenby's decision and the decision of the Utah legislature. And just to put some numbers to this for the people who are listening, how many clinics does your organization have in the state of Utah and how many would be directly affected by the language in this bill? Well, we have eight health centers from Logan to St. George, as well as providing telehealth for the people of Utah. There are three health centers who are licensed in the state of Utah to provide medical or surgical abortion in Logan and two in Salt Lake. They won't affect the running of those health centers because we still provide comprehensive except for pregnancy termination should this bill succeed. Can you give us a sense of how many or a percentage of people who use Planned Parenthood specifically for abortion services? There are just over 3,000 abortions in Utah reported each year, and we provide the majority of those, though not all of those. Is there something in this bill that you think people aren't talking about enough? The hardest part for me that no one's talking about is where is the state's responsibility to those people's life they have taken control over? I would have assumed that they would have stepped up to the plate and said, you know, if we're going to take away your right to bodily autonomy, let's at least give you some family planning. Uh, But no, they ignored it again. If this law does pass, how does Planned Parenthood of Utah plan to proceed? Will you file a lawsuit? Well, it's hard to know. Um, Things have changed. Because Dobbs did turn these decisions about abortion back to the states, and the state is making new laws, it makes it difficult 
as far as the rules, following the rules, which we always do, um, to figure out our course of action. Right now, our course of action is to have the people of Utah speak to their elected officials about what they want and what they need. Carrie Galloway, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for your interest. That was Planned Parenthood Association of Utah President and CEO Carrie Galloway. So what's next for the abortion changes bill? Well, the bill passed out of the House on Friday, but a lot can happen between where it is now and Governor Cox signing it into law. But Cox said he feels pretty good about where the bill stands currently. A recent Hinckley Institute poll found 46 percent of Utahns say abortion should only be legal in cases of rape, incest or threats to the mother's health. Bill sponsors indicated that they were open to possibly amending parts of the bill, and they did Friday evening. 12- and 13-year-olds are now in the group of children assumed to be sexual assault victims. They wouldn't need to report an assault to police to get an abortion. That's because 14 is the minimum age of consent in Utah. But like we saw with the ban on gender-affirming care for transgender minors, there's still time for some big surprise substitutions and amendments. There's always the possibility of lawsuits, too. But since the legislature changed the rules governing how judges issue injunctions, it could be harder to block the law in court. And the landscape is vastly different than it was a year ago. Carrie Galloway told us that since the Dobbs decision that struck down Roe v. Wade, lawsuits challenging restrictions to abortion access are on much shakier ground. Well, we're nearly done with the 2023 legislative session. Only two weeks to go. The end is in sight, Sage. But there is still a slew of things that could happen. Like tax cuts. Majority House and Senate leadership announced their plans to slash the income tax rate by two-tenths of a percent last week. In human words, if you're a fam of four who brings home about $80,000 a year, leadership says you'll save around 200 bucks. The legislature signaled they're down to remove the sales tax on food, too. But not unless Utahns say income tax can be used for something aside from public and higher education. A.K.A. you voters are going to have to approve a good old change to the Utah Constitution. Right now, the Constitution says that money collected as income tax must go toward public education and state-run universities. So... It seems like we'll figure that one out in the 2024 election, which, despite how much you don't want to think about it, it's creeping around the corner. Oh my gosh, Sage, stop. We are not going there yet. No election talk, please. It's coming. But that does it for this episode of State Street. I'm Sage Miller. And I'm Sean Higgins. The show's executive producer is Caroline Ballard. Editing and production support comes from KUER News Director Elaine Clark and David Childs, who's responsible for making us sound oh so good. He selflessly and tirelessly pulls long hours to give listeners that crisp State Street sound. Not to mention, David is responsible for all the sick sound effects you hear and surprising us with the outtake at the end of the episode. Genius. Our digital team includes Jim Hill, Raquel Davis, Renee Bright, and Eleanor Gomberg. State Street is a production of KUER. If you're a fan of the show, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening. It helps other people find State Street. See you next week. David, are you blushing? (laughs) From KUER.